chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. Here on CBS Sports, that's Tom Finelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. Three-hour Myrtle Beach pregame show starting now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Myrtle Beach, we are live 11 a.m. Eastern time, which means that the Myrtle Beach Bowl will begin in about three and a half hours, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, from Conway, South Carolina, the home of the Chanticleers. Uh, Marshall still sitting as a double-digit favorite. Speaking of those bowl games, we got... Bonanza coming up as we are going to continue to give you the previews and breakdowns for the upcoming bowl games and the picks that you need for your pool plays. Today, we will be breaking down the Idaho Potato Bowl, the Boca Raton Bowl, and the New Orleans Bowl. That'll be everything that gets us up to date until we meet uh, for more Bonanza on Thursday. A little bit of housekeeping. Wednesday's show be at the end of the day national signing day recap bud elliott leading the charge right there i think we might have maybe danny Cannell join in maybe some 24 7 sports experts as well make sure that you smash the bell for notifications so that you know when that's going to go live but again wednesday's show will be after a lot of the fireworks have unfolded from national signing day also we are going to get into uh, some bowl takeaways from the weekend that was uh, kind of like it's a pretty good Saturday and fr- Friday, pretty good slate of bowl games. Uh, some of our biggest thoughts, some of our own personal highlights, uh, but want want to begin um, with a, a little bit of an evolving storyline as we continue to track and, and Dion will come up a little bit later, but Travis Hunter is in the portal. Dion's sons are in the portal. Now, Travis Hunter has not announced where he will play next, but we remember that he was committed to Florida State for a long time. Uh, I believe that Georgia was making a run at Travis Hunter a little bit late in the game. The idea that Hunter flipped from the Seminoles, maybe not a huge surprise as there was a lot of buzz going into uh, that his national signing day commitment. And you know we will see where he ends up going. So Tom, I ask you, are you sort of penciling in Travis Hunter to Colorado, or do you think that now we have somebody who, as he displayed in the Celebration Bowl, is a uniquely talented skill position player? Um, what are your expectations for how this is going to go with the former number one prospect in his class? I think he intends to go to Colorado. Like I don't, I I don't think there's been the official announcement. No, but I think he has said, you know, he's going to follow Dion to Colorado. Like I I don't know if that's you know he was just saying it or. But I think that's where he's going to go. But it'll be interesting. Like, we know Dion's sons are going to go to Colorado, although it would be tremendous content if they didn't. But getting off. Kevin already got introduced at a press conference as this is your new quarterback. Yeah. I know. But it would be hilarious. Um, But I think, I mean, I think Hunter intends to go to Colorado. I think this was something he's kind of. I don't know if I want to say it's the plan, but I think it's always been something that has been in the back of his mind when he's originally committed to Jackson State that this was possible down the line. But I also 
think it'll be interesting to see what happens once Travis Hunter is in the portal and other teams are able to kind of maybe make their sell and their pitch because he is like he was the number one recruit in his class. He's a very talented player. He plays at two premium positions. He plays corner. He plays wide receiver, depending on where you want him and where he wants to be. It's not like there aren't going to be teams that would love to have him on the roster. So once he hits the quote-unquote open market, maybe his mind gets changed because maybe some offers come from somewhere else. I think he ends up at Colorado. I don't think it's 100%. If he's at Colorado, you think he's still a two-way player? Or is that just something that happens at Jackson State because you're on such a different level than a lot of the rest of the roster? I think that he could be if he wants to be. And I mean, if you're going to be a two-way player, uh, who else to play with other than Deion Sanders? (laughs) And that could also be part of the appeal to Colorado. Like maybe Alabama or Georgia or a top, like a college football playoff contender wouldn't let him play both ways if he wants to. And maybe that's part of the reason Colorado would be more attractive because Deion will, he knows Deion will let him do it if he wants to. But I don't know. It's That's up to Travis Hunter, whether he decides his future is at receiver or at corner or somewhere else. He's really talented. There's probably a few different positions he could play. So, I don't know. We'll see. But I I think if he goes to Colorado, yeah, there's a very good chance we'll see him on both sides of the ball. If he arrives, when he arrives at Colorado, he will do so as a sophomore. He will do so after being very, very impressive during his uh, freshman season with Jackson State. Does he I'm I'm putting you on the spot here. I apologize, but it was just a question that came to mind. Um, Does he immediately show up and become like an all conference Pac-12 level player? I guess it does he show up probably and, yeah I was trying I was like at corner probably I, I there's not a ton of great corners in the Pac-12 Pac-12. Yeah. yeah and a couple of the better guys that there have been this year are all leaving to enter the draft so I mean I don't have I don't have the entire recruiting rankings of every Pac-12 team in front of me but I would think that if Travis Hunter goes there as far as talent level he's certainly going to be one of the most talented corners in the league and as long as he plays like there could be an adjustment period because, like like you said, Jackson State was so much better than a lot of the teams it faced during the season and in its conference. So he could have an adjustment period just dealing with better passing attacks and trying to cover better receivers. But he's so talented that it's not something I don't think will – like I don't think it's going to take him a year. It might, right. take him a, it might take him a month. But then I think he'll figure it out because he's, he's a very good player. Right, I was I was thinking about Travis Hunter, and I was running down the list, and I was like, okay, he would probably start at Washington if he showed up right away. He would probably yes. start at Oregon if he showed yes. up right away, it, depending on what Kyle Whittingham thinks about you know whether you've earned it or not or whatever. You know, like I mean, he would probably Travis, start at Utah. He's probably starting at most Power Five programs right away. He's really good. <laughs> it's fair. Um, yeah, Travis Hunter into the portal. The like Tom said, it, it seems to make the most sense that he would follow Dion to Colorado. But if he's going to wait to make his decision, if if trying to turn this thing into a bidding war is something that matters to him, there are programs that were involved the first go round that have NIL war chests that mm-hmm. are, are going to be able to uh, create that. It'll be interesting to see how much the connection to Prime. Uh, it matters to him or how much competing for a national championship matters to him and whether this is just simply a dollars and cents situation. But uh, we are keeping our eye on Travis Hunter, former number one player in the country coming out of high school. He stunned everybody with his late flip to Jackson State. Uh, and now we will see if he follows Deion Sanders all the way to Colorado. And so- I, I want to say, I don't think it is a dollars and cents issue. I think it'll be interesting to see if it becomes one, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? It's, yeah. You know, I, I think that also when you're discussing the idea of going to Georgia, it's not just a dollars and cents mm-hmm. issue. You're going there because that's a team that competes for national championships every single fall, you know, same mm-hmm. thing with Alabama. So I, it, it would be more multi-layered than that. Certainly. Speaking of the pac 12, we have uh, a little bit of movement uh, at the quarterback position. Let's start with, a name who's back. Bo Nix coming back to Oregon for the 2023 season. 
This feels pretty significant because, you know, Kenny Dillingham, that relationship is, you know, going back to Auburn, one of the things that got Bo Nix to Oregon. Um, Kenny Dillingham's now at Arizona State as the head coach. So maybe that relationship leads Bo Nix to decide he wants to do something else. But as we've gotten some real bangers of some uh, returning, you know, I'm back kind of videos and announcements and social media posts. We got another one, another that little Bo Nix hype video right there. Number one is awesome for the Ducks. Number two, Pac-12 quarterbacks stacked. Mm -hmm. The reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, is at USC. Michael Penix, who might be one of your Heisman Trophy favorites going into next season, is at Washington. And now Bo Nix at Oregon. What do you make of the news? This, to me, is the best effect of NIL so mm. far. Because, like, we, we've seen it in college basketball, you know, already, where a lot of guys who maybe had pro futures in Europe but could still be very good in college were more incentivized to stay because there was decent enough money. They were making more than they could have made in the G League or in, you know, Spain or wherever they could have gone. And now you're seeing it in the market where I don't think – NIL numbers that get tossed around are that accurate. <laughs> but I think that where we're seeing that most of the money, like the big money is going to go to premium positions and quarterback is the most premium position that there is. And we are seeing with Penix coming back with Knicks. These are guys that are not projected to be first round picks. Maybe they could have been second or third, but they're more likely looked at as mid round kind of third day of the draft guys, development guys that teams will take. And the kind of contracts you can get as that in that range are good. Don't get me wrong. Like none of us are turning down an NFL contract, but they could be surpassed at college. Like the money that I think quarterbacks are actually getting in that NIL is better than a lot of the mid to late round money that you can get as far as guarantees are concerned. So the effect is Penix comes back, Knicks comes back. So they get another year to both maybe enhance their draft stock while also, you know, making more money than they probably would make sitting in an NFL camp. So it's really good for the sport from that aspect because you look at the Pac-12, like you just mentioned, Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, and Bo Nix are all back. So you've got three really good quarterbacks in your league, and that's the one thing that in this sport, it's not like expanding the playoff, I don't think will lead to parity as much as nil will in this situation because you keep good quarterbacks and you spread them around more instead of them all leaving or being funneled to the major programs and that increases the talent level of every team around the country it makes more teams competitive it makes things far more interesting i think that is a much larger impact than the playoff will have in the future so i think it's great for oregon I think it's somewhat surprising, though, because like you said, Kenny Dillingham, I thought once Dillingham left, Knicks would probably lean toward leaving yeah. because I do think that talent wise, like there's going to be an NFL team that likes him. I, like all that stuff is there that teams are going to like and they're going to be interested in. But it's awesome. I, th I think it's great that he's coming back. I think it's great. I mean, the one the other one I'm sure we're going to get to that I was surprised by was Max Duggan leaving. That surprised you that yes. Max Duggan was off to the NFL. Why? Yes. Because you thought that he would have a similar opportunity for, you know, NIL and come back and uh, be able to, you know, not go through that same kind of situation. Yeah, because I, I like Max Duggan. I think he's a very good college quarterback. But I think that when you compare his skill set to guys like Michael Penix and Bo Nix, I think they're fairly equal in a lot of areas. And I would think that maybe he's some teams will probably prefer Knicks and Penix because of his their arm strength over Duggan. So I was surprised that Duggan, unless he's already heard from a team that's like, hey, we're going to take you in the first couple of rounds here. We really like you. And I doubt that's the case. I was surprised he was leaving to go to the NFL, but maybe he's just done with being in school and maybe he just wants to start his life, whatever it is. But I don't know. Or maybe TCU just doesn't have the kind of NIL game that Oregon and Washington have right now, and he doesn't want to transfer and do it somewhere else. Very, uh, very possible. Love that we're uh, able to welcome in, fresh off that Boca traffic, Danny Cannell, uh, an, an NFL quarterback who had to make <laughs> has to weigh these uh, same decisions. Um, Bo Nix coming back, Max Duggan going pro. When when that conversation was going on yesterday, my first thought was like, did you see that man breathing for his life? 
he, he's got to get out. <laughs> that boy has taken a beating. That boy, he had like health issues when we thought that Max Duggan was going to have to retire from mm-hmm. the game of football. And he made his way back to carrying and dragging that offense through the final like two to three games of the season. And he was, you know, I thought going to collapse on the field right there in Jerry World. I was like, I, I understand the NIL can create some payments, but the I, I understand why Max Duggan has decided that he wants to go ahead and cash in on this Heisman finalist season uh, for whatever he can do to be able to take his game pro. Yeah, it might not be an indictment on anything. It might just be a guy making a decision because he wants to give the NFL a shot, like kind of mm-hmm. what Tom was saying. I mean, I did four years. Was at, I was in Tallahassee for four years, and I was I was ready to go. I was kind of like, all right, I've tried everything here. Let's go. Like, is Max Duggan's stock going to go higher than runner-up in the Heisman Trophy? No. Um, I don't think his – I. I think he's probably going to be a fifth round, maybe at the highest. You know, I think he'd probably go sixth or seventh, maybe. Um, so, like financially, if he had the opportunity to go back to TCU and secure a nice NIL deal, yeah, I think like from a straight business perspective, that would probably be the best decision. But maybe he's just like all these reasons have kind of culminated. He's taking a pounding. You know, he's he's coming off a, a stellar year. They're getting to the playoffs. Like, what more is there left for you to accomplish there? And he wants to try the next goal. So I wish him the best. I, I think he would have been, again, like, I think Bo Nix did the right thing by coming back. Again, like, where are you going to go? Um, but I, I think Oregon probably is able to afford a little bit more than TCU is, mm-hmm. without question. Also, some of these players, when they've already used their one-time transfer waiver, Granted, again, as we've said before, depending on where your academics are, if you could be a graduate transfer, that can additionally be a way to change a school again and not have to sit out. We've got staying in the Pac-12. We got a new quarterback commit for UCLA. It's Colin Schley, a former Kent State quarterback, announced that he has committed to UCLA. Now, the Kent State offense with Schley at the helm was very productive, but what didn't we have a lot of big names connected to UCLA? If Schley's committed, does that mean no DJU? I mean, Uyunglele was visiting like a couple days ago. Uh, what is is Chip Kelly going to just bring in multiple transfer quarterbacks and snap a pool cue and let them battle it out? Like, what's how does this end for the Bruins quarterback room? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I I I like Colin Schley. I don't know if I'd like him more than DJU, honestly, because if you look at Schley's performance at Kent State, he had a good player in that offense. But you go to those games at the beginning of the year when Kent State had to take the paycheck games against Washington, Oklahoma, Georgia. He played well against Georgia. He was 14 to 21, 174 yards, 8.3 per attempt, touchdown, and an interception. But Georgia, as we talked about before the SEC championship game, kind of took a lot of games off this year. Um, against Washington and Oklahoma, two teams that don't exactly have stellar defenses, he wasn't very good. So I, I don't know if maybe DJU is not interested in UCLA. Maybe Chip just feels that Schley is a better fit for what he wants to do because he is he's a mobile guy. He can move. He can run. He can be used in the run game. And maybe Chip just doesn't think DJU is a fit for what he wants to do and that he wants somebody who's more of a DTR than a battering ram, which is what I think DJU is more you know, similar to. So I don't know. I'll trust Chip Kelly. He's had a pretty good, in, you know, history of quarterbacks. So I'll, I'll take his word for it. But it, it did surprise me a little bit. I know Bud's high on Schley, but I'm just not as high as Bud is. Does it mean it absolutely shuts the door on DJU? That's my question. I mean, that's, yeah, it, I don't it, know if it does. I guess if you're DJ, you know, his confidence clearly has been battered and bruised pretty last couple years. But if you're him, I don't know. You're probably you're probably like, who's this kid? You know, like I think that's got to be your mentality too. Is I'm I'm I played two years at a high level. I can compete with anybody, but I don't know if it impacts it that much. When if you're Schley, are you going to UCLA if you think DJU's coming? Yeah, I I just think that this is going to be interesting for this era because according to you know our transfer portal rankings, these are two of the top ten quarterbacks available in the entire country. What are we about to see? Chip Kelly bring in two of them and say, all right, guys, you go figure it out. I mean, I know there are quarterback rooms that have had multiple transfers, but I would consider this too high profile. I mean, if it's DJU and even somebody else, aside from DJU, 
I think that would be like definitely a reflection of the new era. Who is anybody else connected to UCLA? Not that I know of. I mean, you know, QB transfers a little, uh, little, little under the radar right now. I mean, you know, nobody, the, nobody the wants the QB carousel is the thing yeah. that's under the radar. Bo Nix was one of the pieces that people wanted to see what he was going to do. You know, like mm -hmm. Oregon. I'm sure they've been going. I think that impacts Oregon more than Schley to UCLA. Like also, I think, I think, I think to you know, I think still there's still potential opportunity for another signing. Where if you're if you're looking at Oregon, you're like, I'm not playing for a year. Mm -hmm. You know, speaking of the future of the quarterback room, uh, one of the storylines that we are watching for Wednesday's National Signing Day is whether Dante Moore, uh, the star quarterback who is committed currently to Oregon, whether he might flip to UCLA. UCLA got more on campus, and I, I don't know about you guys, but the way that I look at that situation here is that that more is the future and that like whoever chip kelly if chip kelly were to successfully get that flip whoever he's bringing in on the graduate transfer level is just you know a one you know one time type thing i heard there's like a 64.1 percent chance that more is going to flip it's amazing how that math works yeah you know with human emotions <laughs> that you can dial it down to percentage points um on the coaching carousel front, we have uh, a little bit of news at the Naval Academy. We threw out a couple of names that you know we thought might be good options to be able to take over. One thing that I guess was on some people's list, it wasn't at the top of my list, that Navy, uh, according to ESPN's Pete Thamel, is expected to promote Brian Newberry uh, to head coach. The uh, He's been the defensive coordinator at Navy since 2019, um, awkward, <laughs> right? Yeah, there's yeah, something awkward. There's something weird going on at Navy. I mean, going back to the making him fire his coordinator, offensive coordinator, bringing him back on to firing him at his locker, you know, after the, the loss to Army. There's something, something going on. I don't know what it is. I'm a little bit surprised they didn't just clean house. Well, I... See, that's what makes me think that this is one of those, like, I I don't know if we can... Actually, you know what? I do not want to get involved in trying to FOIA the Naval Academy. Seems yeah, like that say, puts um, me on some, some... It puts me on some lists that, you know, I don't really want to be a part of. But if somebody wants to do some some hard, what they call it, gumshoe reporting, <laughs> like, I'd, I'd be curious to know what those conversations between uh, the athletic director at Navy and Brian Newberry have been, whether Brian Newberry's like, Listen, I'm telling you, I would do this better. I would do this better. You got to get Ivan Jasper out of here. You got to get Kenny Amatololo out of here. Dog, just give me a chance. I'll show you. I've been here for three seasons. I've seen what sure feels like here. it, doesn't I it? I know. Oh. Yeah, it's it's a you know what? It's a it's a good hire. I have no idea if it'll work out. Sir, yes, sir. Whatever you say, sir. Sir, yes, sir. <laughs> this is why co this is one of like coaches' worst nightmares too, because you want to hire a good staff, but man, mm -hmm. you got to hire people you trust that aren't because there's always somebody looking for an opportunity. That wouldn't surprise me at all if what, what you're talking about, Chip, has, has been taking place. It just yeah, it's and I mean, even if it's not outright, it just smells funny when the DC who just showed up just showed up is the named the new head coach after the incredibly popular winningest coach in program history who's been there since 2007 gets fired that in the locker. locker room after the yeah. in his locker right after a heartbreaking gut punch of an overtime loss yeah, yeah. there's clearly some fraying in that relationship Stephen godfrey uh the almost cryptically said we have a Kevin Steele situation on our hands. I think the only difference is this was executed all the way to the finish line. Uh, well, who is like the big Navy booster Northrop Grumman? Who would be like <laughs> <laughs> the armed force dealers? <laughs> oh man. All right. Speaking of those, uh, the armed forces, we'll have our armed forces bowl uh, preview and look ahead here as bowl Nanza rolls on in just a little bit. I wanted to at least get some highlights or thoughts on the weekend. That was, we already talked about, uh, Travis Hunter uh, being in the transfer portal. Uh, what might happen with Hunter's future? What did how, how many eyes we get on the cel celebration bowl in general? 
I watched the, it was a good game. I watched the fourth quarter in overtime. I was like, Oh, what what we got going on here? You know, that was, and it was thoroughly entertaining. And I, I thought Travis Hunter was lived up to the hype. Like you're always kind of curious. I thought Shador made some really nice throws too. I mean, he looked calm and the, you know, leading the, the game tying drive at the end of the game. Um, but I, I, I thought Travis Hunter, one of the things interesting about him is that the fact that he wanted to play for Dion, that he's playing both ways at Jackson State, it's just like another like, – I think he's going to Colorado. I mean, I, I know there's some people that want to have hope he's going to go somewhere else. I think he's going to Colorado. But I think what's going to be interesting is does he use him as a two-way player there, which would be awesome. I love, I'm a huge fan of letting players do that. And he made a great catch to tie it up. Um and then, of course, the poor, poor kid, Hayden, who dropped the pass. Our yeah, guy Hayden, Hayden. Hayden. hated for it. <laughs> I also thought Jay Walker did not want Dion to win. Did you guys feel like the broadcast? There was some hating going on, man. They were, they were, there was I, some I serious hating. I was covering the Fenway Bowl, so I had it on the second screen muted. So I don't know. So. There is a lot of, you know, a, a lot of feelings that go Antipathy. into this. I, I wanted to like first agree with you, Danny, that the game was incredibly competitive and back and forth and really exciting and huge plays were being made by both North Carolina Central and Jackson State all the way down the stretch. But there's the feelings of, you know, Dion is leaving Jackson State. He's leaving on a sour note uh, with a disappointing note, you know, taking the quarterback and, and maybe the star uh, two-way player as well. So yeah, I I sensed that there's a little bit of you know sour feelings there. Then there's the Colorado side of this, which is you're watching and it's like, man, I I hope our new head coach wins this game. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Like, like there were some Buffs fans that you know had had applied some uh, emotion to this, and you know we're all watching because this has been one of the biggest stories of the entire uh, you know off season. You know where is Coach Prime going to go? And we get one last look at it. It was a, it was a lot going on around that uh, that team in that game that right there in Atlanta. Um, what what else stood out from either Friday afternoon or Saturday? I've got a couple more places where I wanted to shine a spotlight, but I don't want to dominate this. Um, I just want to. What, what stood out for me is the offensive fireworks that took place in the fourth quarter for the Florida Gators. There, getting that field goal just to make sure they avoid it. That was the offensive explosion Gator fans were really hoping for. <laughs> Had to keep the streak season. alive. Holy cow. That was bad, man. We all kind of thought Oregon State, they're going to want to be there. and like they're going. I think we all were on the side of Oregon State, but even with that being said. Oh, I didn't no, I was, was on Florida. State. You were. Oh, that's right. You were on Florida. You did get mm-hmm. on that train. Yeah, and then the viral video, my man number thirty-three, who tried to rush the passer and did not even make contact with the right tackle who was blocking him because he was just walking off. Like you talk about, don't give a bleep effort. That was embarrassing. And then you've got GoFundMe started for Billy Napier's buyout. I mean, it is a mess. I mean, that was a that's a horrible, horrendous way to end the season. Do you kick that field goal though to keep the streak alive? Yes. Yeah, okay, me too. <laughs> like, I don't yes. want to admit it, but I 100%. If you're Billy do. Napier yeah, and you want to be there for like yes. three or four more seasons, don't <laughs> want to be the guy. Yeah, yeah you don't want to be the guy that ends a streak that dates back to 1988. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like you start to put some of these, and for those who aren't aware, Florida has the nation's longest streak of games scoring a point. It goes all the way back to October of 1988. It was 435 games entering the bowl game. It is now 436. It is three years and more than 50 games ahead of the second place record, which is TCU, which has been going on since 1991. And yes, we were preparing to shoot off the content fireworks. Yes. Florida did not kick that field goal. (laughs) We were going to be all about the streak coming to an end. Your boy had a lot of pre-written content he did not get to pull the trigger on because of a sad field goal that keeps Billy Napier from being the coach who snapped a streak that has lasted multiple generations. But the thing about like a streak like that and you know any kind of weird stat streak, th- nobody cares except for the team that has it. 
You know what I mean? Did anybody, how many people knew Florida had that streak before this became a thing in the second half of that game? Like we're, we're friends out at the bar. Like, Oh my God, guys, the streak might end today. I know a Florida graduate who knew it immediately. Yes, I know. But I'm saying that's like that's one of those records where it's like you only care about it if you hold it or when it ends. But when they (laughs) when they start talking about it on the broadcast and they flash it on the screen, now you're embarrassed, which is what adds to why Billy Napier wants to kick it because nobody knew about the record until the broadcast all told us about the record, and now everybody's dialed in to the final moments to see whether or not Florida will score a single point in this game or be shut out for the first time since 1988. Because the Mm. SID has had that note in the game notes every day or every week since 1980. (laughs) And it survives. It survives for another year. What a a, truly uh, a disappointing performance. I will say uh, I kept, I had pretty like dialed in eyes on this game. The, uh, the quit factor rose. You know, early on, I kind of thought that they were moving the ball pretty well. They had a turnover on downs. They had a couple of bad uh, execution, a lot of like false start penalties. They were clearly out of sorts, but they seemed to care there at the beginning. But quit factor rose very quickly. Oregon State very dialed in all the way through. Um, Frank Gore Jr. three hundred and twenty nine rushing yards as Southern Miss uh, goes on to win against Rice. Rice made this a game. Um, it was really, really Rice fun. played. Rice played for one quarter and made a game out of it. Like, they scored 21 points in the third quarter, three points in the rest of the game. It was... It, it got dicey there for a little bit. You're sitting there like, okay, Southern Miss, this is not going to be good to lose to the 5-7 and seven team that only got into the bowl season because they got good grades. But like Frank Gore Jr. legitimately was not going to allow that to happen. Um, a a bowl record, I believe, like an FBS bowl history. Record. Yeah, in the history of bowl games, it was phenomenal. Do you think he stays there? Yes. Like, wouldn't you? He, he, he is tweeted, he there. T- he tweeted after the game, "I'm not going anywhere." Really? Yeah, I, I know. Mean, it's it is surprising. I mean, it's not surprising, but it is that is somebody who would get interest from Power Five programs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised because I I think the interest would be there, and I I'd like to see him. He's put that team on his back so many times. I mean, they had him playing quarterback, they had him playing wildcat over the last. I mean, it's been pretty phenomenal the job he's done. And I, you know, Miami makes sense, but but I do guess, think hey, like if you're happy, you're happy. Good for him. You know? I mean, I do. You know, he's Frank Gore's kid, but he's not Frank Gore's size, right? You know what I mean. So it's like I do wonder like it. Part of the reason he probably wants to stay there is a because he, he's happy there, but also because he can do that there. He can be a workhorse in Conference USA or the Sun Belt now. Sorry, I don't know if he could have the same kind of workload in a Power Five school that he has with his size, just because it probably wouldn't be good for him. But uh, he's always going to be a hero to me because I took Southern Miss minus nine and a half live in that game just based on the way Rice was playing. So yeah, that twenty-one point third quarter that the Owls had really did kind of add the sweat factor to that one. So thank you to Frank Gore for pulling my butt out of the fire, not just carrying his team, but saving me too. I didn't get to watch Boise, North Texas, but that was much closer and much more competitive than I imagined. Yeah, Boise State was missing a few guys in the secondary. <laughs> and that, uh, became a- <laughs> that became a problem for them. Yeah, And uh, and then also they it took them a little too long, I think, to just realize, you know, Talon Green and Ashton Janty, we don't really need to do much else other than these two guys in the run game. And once they figured that out, they kind of established, you know, they, they, they took control of that game. You know what else I learned um, was the UTSA-Troy game, which was a really good game. I think UTSA's jump to the American is going to be, it's going to be challenging. Mm. Right? And we all kind of knew that, but I think it's going to be a little more challenging than even, like, I because I thought they would com- Frank Harris specifically, he struggled. He had the two picks. He did not play great. You know, he was a little bit confused by some of the defensive schemes. I think it's going to be a big jump. I'm very curious to see how Trailer does um, with that program making that jump because that's oh. a, that the Conference USA bottom tier to you know Power Six, if we're still going to call it that, even without the you know heavyweights that are leaving to the Big Twelve. I think it's going to be a significant jump in competition. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if there's an adjustment, but I also think that that was just Troy's defense. Yeah, I yeah. was, and I was way over my skis with uh, UTSA and Frank Harris, and this was going to be like a, a show-stopping game. And look, the Troy boy might be MIA today. You know, 
Troy Boy heard that we were picking bowl games, and because he wants to be <laughs> right and not have any, you know, bowl picks on the record, he's obviously taking today off. Troy Boy will be back leading the show Wednesday, early afternoon or late afternoon, early evening on Wednesday for the National Sign Day recap. But in my notes, I said Troy Boy may be MIA, but he gets a victory lap because Troy's defense took control of that game. UTSA had multiple opportunities to be able to try and like put like get back in it, get back in it. And Troy's defense stood him up at every single time. Uh, so chat saying that Bud was all over UTSA. Uh, I, I don't remember. Again, he wasn't here for the bull picks for the bull Nanza. Yeah. Um, but he's been on Troy all season. I mean, he is the Troy Trojan. He's he is the Troy boy. Troy, Troy boy loves it. All right. Uh, a little special thing that we've got going because it is the holiday season and because we appreciate all of you, the many of you that are watching us live, uh, why don't you go over and smash that like? Because I got 10 Paramount Plus 30-day free trial codes, 10 of them that we're ready to give away. So go ahead and smash that like. You get the likes on up to 100 and we'll be giving them out to those of you live in the chat. So again, go ahead and smash that like. When it hits 100, we're giving out 10 Paramount Plus 30-day free trials. And coming up on the other side, it is the next edition of the Bonanza. Getting you set with everything all the way up to Thursday night. That means we're going to be having the Potato Bowl. We're going to be having the Boca Raton Bowl. And more next did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. As we are here, about three hours away from the start of the Myrtle Beach Bowl, we already gave out our uh, our picks, our best bets, our thoughts on Marshall and UConn. But for those watching live, any, any shifting opinions on that? Marshall currently a 12-point favorite over under a 41.5. Yeah, the spread has moved, so I'm not, I was big on Marshall last week. I'm not as big on it at 12, but I am on my Twitter tip for the day is the UConn team total under 13 and a half, because that is the crux of my belief. I just, Marshall's defense is very good. I don't know if UConn's going to be able to move the ball against it very well. Danny, you got any updated thoughts? No, I talked to Mike Morgan today. Who's gone the call for, uh, for ESPN. He's calling the game. I don't know. He was, he was trying to say now, now as a broadcaster, you're selling the game. He had me kind of believing that UConn was going to keep it competitive. Oh, cause that's the most fun thing to sell on the broadcast. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. You yeah. have to, if you're calling the game, you want to sell viewers on why you should watch. You don't want to go in there and say, ah, UConn has no chance. Mm, I stay with it. UConn wins at the margins. Let's go. Huskies plus 12. What, what margins exactly does UConn win at? Uh, turnover differential. Um, field position. It's true. These are areas where they, they are margins. That's they are margins that they don't show up in the yards, yards <laughs> per play. They don't show up in the yards per play allowed. And uh, UConn may be one dimensional, but dadgummit, they are committed to that one dimension. 
they will run the football into the brick wall over and over again. And we respect perseverance. All right. Also, we know they'll be motivated, although I do think Marshall will be motivated as well. Uh, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, for those uh, keeping track. 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. It's the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. San Jose State uh, is a four-point favorite over under a 54 going up against Eastern Michigan. Uh, Eastern Michigan, 8-4 and four on the season. San Jose State, 7-4 and four on the season. Uh, what are we keeping our eyes on or, or what, what's got your attention about this game? As far as betting or just the actual game? Either one. I mean, if if the betting is not what's got your attention the most, then I am certainly interested in what's got your attention about the game. I like the over as far as the betting because San Jose State's defense was pretty good at the start of the year, but over the second half of the season, it kind of fell off of a cliff, and a lot of the kind of games that they've been getting into have been kind of tennis matchy. Eastern Michigan, it's not high scoring, but like, their offense has been effective in the MAC, but their defense hasn't been that effective in the MAC. So I just feel like this could be a more back and forth kind of game than the total suggests for that one. As for the game itself, like San Jose State, I thought got off to a very good start for the season overall. They looked to be one of the best teams in the Mountain West. They lost that game to Fresno. They had the player get hit by the bus. And then, as you would expect, the season completely changed from that point on. I mean, they they won, but it just they weren't as sharp. They lost on the road to San Diego State, Utah State. It was just it was a season that started off a lot hotter than it finished. So it'll be interesting to see how they show up for this game because I do think that on paper they are a much better team than Eastern Michigan. But Eastern Michigan, you know, we we I say it a lot about a lot of teams. They play hard, so I, I think the Eagles are going to show up. This should be an interesting kind of fun game. I like San Jose, uh, San Jose State. I think that the kid from Hawaii that's playing quarterback there now, Cordero. Cordero, yep. Yeah, he's had a pretty solid year throwing the football. You know, they spread it around a little bit. I'm gonna go with the air attack. I want every one of those points. Give me Eastern Michigan plus the four. The best mistake that I make every single bowl season is taking how a team finishes into account. And you know what, Eastern, you mentioned the way that things went for San Jose State. How about Eastern Michigan winning four out of the last five? Like its best games of the season, not even just, you know, win loss wise, but some of its best performances of the season were coming down the stretch. They actually tied with Toledo for the division championship, uh, losing the tiebreaker to the Rockets. And we think about what it's going to be like in Boise, Idaho, in this cold kind of weather. Yeah. And not that San Jose is tropical necessarily. Did you see the forecast? Because I just saw it. It's 19 degrees, right? Yes. Yeah. I just think that Eastern Michigan and like, so Eastern Michigan has played on field turf in cold weather. San Jose State does not have to deal with those conditions. Though San Jose State obviously has played in this stadium before as a Mountain West opponent. Kind of like Eastern Michigan here. Give me the Eagles. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how Spartans come out in 19-degree weather, how how fired up they are for this one. Because Eastern Michigan, like you said, Chip, this is they, this is what they live in. They play on a gray field. This is this is the weather they're meant for. <laughs> ah, experience on uh, experience on uniquely colored field also yeah. advantage uh-huh. uh, as as they're sitting there at the Smurf <laughs> turf uh, in Albertson Stadium. It's gonna be, is is it gonna be windy too? I don't know about. I don't think it's supposed to be too windy. No, but it's when it's when it's nineteen. When it's 19 everything degrees. feels windy. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, that is at three thirty p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Seven thirty p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. Our nightcap is Boca Raton Bowl. We got Liberty and Toledo. Toledo favored by four and a half over under a fifty four. Uh, we've got an interim coach situation as, of course, Hugh Freeze is off to Auburn. That for Liberty, Jamie Chadwell, everyone's excited about the Jamie Chadwell era, but he will not be there uh, in charge. He may be there, though. Um, <laughs> Jofer was there in the Bahamas just walking mm-hmm. aside. Like, you got to be there, right? Oh, like, unless you're Scott Satterfield. They put him in an undisclosed location. <laughs> that guy like web chatted in to just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. Not gonna come around, but uh, but I'll come join the broadcast. That that sounds good right now. Uh, yeah, it will be. Where's his name? It will be. Oh no! Now I'm losing it. 
interim inter, it'll be the co-defensive coordinator is the interim coach. I'm sorry. Uh, I thought I had that pulled up for you, but four and a half for Toledo. Here's what's interesting. Um, the very first game that Jason Candle was ever a head coach was the 2017 Boca Raton Bowl. And he won that game. He had just been promoted uh, after Matt Campbell had left for Iowa State. They beat a then top 25 Temple in the game. There was a driving rainstorm. Woohoo. The, the era is bright. 1-0 overall. First bowl win. Jason Candle has proceeded to lose his next four bowl games. And in all four of those bowl games, Toledo was the betting favorite. So as Jason Candle, who has a long track record, relatively, of failing to cover the spread and losing outright with a favored Toledo team, as he returns to Boca Raton where the magic all got started, is he going to be able to tap into that and actually deliver a bowl win for the Rockets? What's our best bet here? I have no idea. Because <laughs> as you said, like... Toledo has not been trustable as a favorite. Like it, it often fails to cover. A lot of times, it's but it's playing a Liberty team that really seemed to pack it in at the end of the year, even before the Hugh Freeze move became official. Just because everything had suddenly become, you know, Hugh Freeze to Auburn, and we saw in like that last game of the regular season against what New Mexico State. Yeah, they got throttled by New Mexico State. Yeah. Yeah, so I cannot trust Liberty. I don't trust Toledo. Under? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I'm going to watch this game because there's a decent chance that it is going to be in a hot mess, but I have no idea what's going to happen in it. I'm going to go Rockets. I can't, I can't get – I can't wash out – seeing that Liberty team go from beating BYU and Arkansas in back-to-back weeks to losing to UConn, losing to Virginia Tech, and then losing to New Mexico State. Factor in Toledo. Again, this is the mistake that I make. Feel free to fade as you want, but Toledo's got uh, actually a pretty nice defense. Under could be a very good play. I agree, but I think that Toledo, man, they they are desperate to be able to get a bowl win. It's been a long time. And uh, in Liberty, you know, in that sort of transitional state, um, I'm, I'm going to go with Toledo here. I'm going to go with Chip with Toledo and the under. But I got I, I, more about the impact that Liberty had at the end of the season. Like, this looks like a team that hung it up. But, I don't know, it's a little windy, a little windy here outside. Maybe that'll slow down the pass game. Gonna be windy, windy in, in Boca. Boca. Since <laughs> It's not just a Jason Candle thing, by the way. Since 2003... Toledo has been in 11 bowl games. This will be their 12th. They are 3-7-1 and one against the spread in those games. Yuck. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Probably a lot of it's matchup duty, like matchups. But also, you know, it's Toledo, so they've genuinely got all these guys opting out to prepare for the NFL draft. That's true. I mean, I went back and I looked at every one of those um, – those games where Toledo lost under Candle and failed to cover, and some of them are bad losses. Mm-hmm. Like, App beat them like 40-something to nothing in the Dollar General Bowl after Toledo had just won the MAC championship. Hold Yikes. On. Is Liberty 3-0 and in bowls in their history? They are. Yeah, here's a, here's a fun little note. If Liberty Back. wins, they join the aforementioned App State Mountaineers as the only programs in FBS history to be bowl eligible and win the bowl in the first four years of bowl eligibility. Oh, wow. We're going to have to get a story ready for that one if they're winning in the fourth quarter. Buddy, as somebody who's on the Boca Raton bowl duty, don't act like I don't have these storylines down pat ready to go. We'll be wrapping presents and firing up nugs Mm -hmm. on the Boca Raton bowl on Tuesday night. All right, Wednesday uh, again, this is this will be the last one. When we get back together Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, uh, we will hit you with uh, the Armed Forces Bowl, the Friday slate, and much more. <coughs> uh, Wednesday, Western Kentucky and South Alabama. Uh, this is the New Orleans Bowl, 9 p.m. kickoff. Remember, Austin Reed into the portal. 
Then he does the Michael Jordan, I'm back announcement. So he's coming back to Western Kentucky. Maybe he might have been linked to Louisville, but whatever Western Kentucky needed to do <coughs> to get it right for Austin Reed to come back, they were able to do. Uh, South Alabama, phenomenal defensive team this year. Great season, 10-2 and two overall. The head-to-head loss to Troy uh, really you know, kept them from competing for a Sunbelt championship, but this was one of the best teams in the Sunbelt. Jags are four-and-a-half-point favorites over under a 55-and-a-half. What's the best bet? Jags. Yeah. I just think uh, this is here's, – here's your correlation, right? We just talked about earlier the UTSA-Troy game. Troy's defense completely shuts down UTSA's offense. UTSA was far and away the best team in Conference USA this year. Western Kentucky was not the best team in Conference USA. It's playing a South Alabama team that really – it's not far off. It might be exactly on the same level as Troy. That means South Alabama is going to beat Western Kentucky. Plus, Conference USA is currently one in three in bowl games. That includes the UTSA loss. Its only win was the UAB win over Miami of Ohio, which is a now six and seven team. So, yeah, I think I think we're fading Conference USA from here on out, boys. Yeah, I'd lean the under too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they'll slow down the Hilltoppers' offense. I think. South Alabama will they're not going to be putting up shooting of fireworks, you know. Little complimentary well against UCLA. They almost beat UCLA. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, well, that was a Chip Kelly non-conference game. You know what yeah. I there. can't count that. No, I think that's just South Alabama's good, guys. Yeah, the only losses of the season, one point at UCLA and four points against Troy. Again, the if you want to look at the style and a great point by Tom with the correlation of these, you know, Sunbelt title contenders going up against Conference USA teams with explosive offenses when Troy and South Alabama met 16 total points, 10 to 6 Troy. Uh, so under I like, but I'm going to go with South Alabama as well. Uh, they finished the season uh, very, very strong and that defense is stout. So we'll Best go five. What? It's the best G5, or at least it will be for sure in the next couple of years after AAC loses all those teams. South Alabama will be the best. No, the Sun Belt. No, the Sun Belt is the best G5 league for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A few more years, it'll be no question about it. Faden Cusa, Sun Belt, the Sun Belt rises. There we go. Storylines heading into 2023 unfolding here in the 2022 bowl season. Again, Wednesday's show. It's going to come maybe about 6, 6.15-ish uh, p.m. Eastern time. Uh, breakdown of all the National Signing Day storylines. Then we will be back Thursday at our normal 11 a.m. Eastern time uh, slot to be able to give you our next round of Bonanza. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Wait, wait, wait. Drop your handles in the chat right now. Those of you watching live, make sure you're following the Cover 3 podcast. Go ahead and drop your handles in the chat because we are giving away 10 Paramount Plus 30-day free trials. A little Christmas treat for those of you who do hang out with us live. Uh, We'll continue to give out some of these Paramount Plus free trials. So make sure you smash that bell for notifications when we go live so you can not only enjoy the multi-platform excellence uh, a long time alongside us, but you can also maybe get yourself the, a nice uh, trip, a ticket to Paramount Mountain, the Mount of, Mountain of Entertainment, uh, Paramount Plus free trial. Make sure you're following the Cover 3 Podcast on Twitter and drop your handle in the chat right now. Thank you so much. We ask you answered. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Messi is Italian. <laughs>